Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. I am joined by Mark again this week. How are you doing, Mark? Good, man. How are yourself? Good. It is uh, June 2nd, starting to get warm here. I talked to a guy in the Midwest earlier. He said it's already been humid for a month. So I don't know <laughs> if that's your uh, your take or not, but things are definitely starting to get warm. It's definitely feeling like summer. That's the way I feel too. And this is a pathetic segue, but the topic. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of summer and warm temperatures. That's right. I, I mean, I really wasn't even trying well to played. set it up as that, as that but it, it worked. So this will actually come out July. I'm, I'm thinking probably somewhere in July, July 27th. And uh, historically, I always tend to get a lot of questions in July about three things, hydration, electrolyte um you know electrolyte powders that folks will take on trips as well as sodium of all of the things to talk about and um you know usually it's about that time that people start to do more backpacking guys are scouting or at the very least starting to prepare for some early season hunts so i, I guess it makes sense why they they'd start thinking about it then do you do you do anything specific for any three of those topics and i guess i guess starting anything with hydration like do you do you try to hit a certain amount do you calculate anything are you paying attention to anything or are you just kind of putting some water in a bladder and going um mostly put it in and going with some intentionality of um like timing and it, i don't mean like super specific on that but i'm like hey man if it's been a 30 minutes and I haven't even taken a sip of something like just trying to drink regularly throughout the day, um, regularly in cadence quantity by feel, if that makes sense. So that could be like a sip every 30 minutes, or it could be like, I get to the next 30 minutes. We just did a big climb and it's like, oh man, I'm like, I really, really want some water. Um, I've certainly noticed that for me, hydration is one of the most important factors in how I feel in the mountains in general. And I don't know if this is perceived or not, but for years at this point, being a flatlander from the Midwest, um, years and years and years ago, I heard that, you know, ensuring that you're not dehydrated to start with can help prevent, um, issues with altitude as well. So, um, for me, that sometimes has included making sure that literally like the several days leading up to potentially going from like 500 feet to 10,000 feet. Um, even before the effort, I'm like making sure to be incredibly hydrated and it, at least on like a road trip, for example, I think that that's more important because I'm, I'm the type of guy, like on a, if I'm driving 20 hours to hunt or something like that, I don't want to stop any more than I have to. So part of me is like, I don't want to drink a bunch. Cause that means I'm gonna have to take more breaks. Right. But I really do feel like that for me, hydration it's just really, really stinking critical. Um, even on a recent bear hunt that we did this spring, Steve and I, um, I got to the point where, you know, there's times where I, we just get busy hunting. Like in this scenario, we just did this relatively long stalk of a bear gotten within distance of the bear shot opportunity. Like we spent multiple hours where I was much more focused on hunting than I was drinking. And coming out of that, I had that realization of I, I'm getting behind on hydration. So this is really important. So in a situation, like the, I think the, the, the traveling scenario is definitely true. I think a lot of guys do that. I, nobody wants to stop and pee in a, in a, in a situation where you are outside, are you more like, you know, you explained that you see the importance of it. 
are you more in the camp of I'll just try to conserve as much as possible so I don't have to drop down somewhere and get water to refill? Are you more in the camp of I would rather be as hydrated as possible, even if that means I've got to go down a thousand feet to get more water if it if I need to, if I run out? Yeah, I like the do not do more work than I have to. Um, so I'm, I try to anticipate, you know, if we're getting ready to go up a couple thousand feet and water may not be up there, I'm more than happy to carry the extra pounds and make sure that I start full um, and maybe carry everything I can. Right. So a lot of times that'll be a three liter bladder, usually another one liter, I'd use like a collapsible one liter uh, platypus bottle, like with the pop top. And I usually use that for my um, like flavored drinks. Um, and then I'll usually have some, either another platypus or a Nalgene kind of depending on the hunt. So I usually have like four to five liters of capacity total at any given time. And I don't like to run around with all that full if I'm going to be near water anticipate water crossings i may only carry a liter regularly depending on what country i'm in and what the water situation is like but if i know that you know i'm going to be in an area where water is going to be uh, more scarce i would much rather carry the weight than go without the water for sure yeah that was, i mean i so i i i agree and whenever you were talking about <laughs> You're like, well, I, I've got the three liter water bladder. I've got an extra platypus and then a potential analogy. And I was thinking, man, you must have a Sherpa because that has to weigh a ton. But if you're not walking around with them all full, that makes more sense. Yeah. And there's been like, and that's been a learning process. And it's someone sometimes just depends on the country I'm hunting in and figure out what that's like, even year to year based on conditions. I have realized in the past years ago that like I would start every day, for example, with a full three liter water platter and walk around crossing streams and creeks and stuff all day without realizing I'm an idiot for carrying three liters of water all day for no reason, rather than maybe starting with one to two liters and then just filling up three, four times throughout the day. So I don't want to carry more than I have to, but again, I'm willing to carry it if it means carry the weight or start rationing water. Like I've talked to guys in the past who are camels and they'll talk about, yeah, I can, you know, if I'm careful, I can get by with like a, a liter and a half a day. And they mean like consuming through cooking as well as drinking. And to me, I'm like, uh, like, that's great. Like maybe we're just built differently, but again, like hydration has been really, really important for me. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the same way as you. And, and like, I think the, you know, it's the same way that I view f food in the sense of, I would rather have, I would rather carry a little more weight and food and be confident that, you know, if I, if I need it, it's there versus trying to scamp by, put myself in a position. Um, I mean, death hike's a good example of this. Be somewhere that's not even remotely close to a safety point to get out and put myself in a position where I don't have enough food and I'm in a really bad situation. And so the water thing for me is the same It's like, I always, you know, I always feel like sometimes some of the guys I hunt with, they'll, you know, I'll say, Hey, are you guys going to fill your bladder before we take off this morning? 
So y'all know I've got like half of it full from yesterday. <laughs> I'm like half. I like I'd fill my three liter up every morning and and get through it. And so like the question that's generally posed uh, from people is like, well, you know, how much should I take? And we talk about this all of the time. So I think the repetition is good, but there's always this idea of optimal versus practical. And on an optimal front, like the technical recommendation is. 400 milliliters to 800 milliliters per hour of activity. So you could essentially say half a liter to a liter per hour of activity. But I think that I think that you can go even more general than that. And the simple rule of kind of like what you were talking about, if you've got a three liter bladder, make it a rule that by the time you get back at camp at night, you've at least emptied that separate from the water that you use to cook with as well. I mean, that alone is going to ensure that you're getting relatively close to the amount of hydration that you need. And again, like what's, what's the purpose of being well hydrated? I mean, what, you know, like some guys will hear this and be like, well, what's the big deal? It's just water. It's not like a big deal. If anything, you'll just be thirsty and you can kind of deal with it. But like you highlighted, there are some negative things that can impact the quality of your experience outside and how well you do. And we've said this before too, like the goal is not just surviving a situation or a, a, a trip. The goal is to really enjoy it and having enough nutrition, having enough water can be one of the factors that makes a difference between those two. So I think making simple rules, like you said, sipping regularly and often with, with the overall goal of trying to make sure that you empty however much water you do have. And I mean, I guess if you wanted to nickel and dime it and get that half liter to one full liter per hour of activity in, you could, but frankly, it adds a layer of complexity that I don't know is worth it. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's um, interesting too, I think how conditions um like say temperature can affect how much we crave or our bodies kind of indicate thirst right so even on a warmer hunt i noticed that i do have more thirst cravings but if you really look at it not i mean yes things change with like sweat and this probably gets us to electrolytes but even on those colder hunts i've noticed it's just as important to stay on top of it and then kind of related to that is in the past, I've experimented with, you know, bladders versus bottles, for example, and which one I'm using can actually dictate how much I'm drinking. So like with bladders and like a, a mouthpiece bite valve, I tend to drink more frequently, but kind of like less quantity per that frequency. Um, and then with a bottle, I tend to drink a little bit less frequent, but I'll have a larger amount if that makes sense, which is just interesting to think like bladder versus bottle can actually change your consumption. And obviously that doesn't have to be that way, but I think there's at least my experience and some other guys I've talked to kind of like a natural effect to the way that your water is consumed and how it's stored like on yourself and on your pack and how you're drinking it, whether through a bottle or bladder affects how much you drink. Yep. I mean, so if like for me, definitely true too, because, you know, if I'm taking, if I've got a, if I've got a Nalgene, I mean, I'm a short guy, I've got T-Rex arms. So it's hard for me to try to reach behind me and get a Nalgene out. And 99.9% .9 of the time, if I commit to taking a Nalgene versus a bladder, which like for me, the reason I would do that would be to save some volume inside the pack itself. Um, I almost always rely on whoever I'm with to get the bottle out. So I'm just like, I'm naturally 
drinking less because I don't want to annoy them. I can't reach it. And so unless we're stopping for some kind of a break or something, I'm just naturally not drinking as much. And it does, it makes it, it makes a dramatic impact on how good I do or how, or how good I do or don't feel. The other thing that I think is interesting on the topic of hydration is like you had mentioned with cold weather. And so like, you know, we would think, well, it's not as warm out. I'm not sweating as much. I'm not losing as much fluid. So I don't need as much. But the reality is, is that even whenever you research this, like the studies that have looked at specifically high altitude, uh, cold weather stuff, you almost triple the amount of, um, the amount of air you breathe off. So whenever you're, you know, whenever you're, you're outside and you're doing any type of exertion, obviously you're inhaling and you're exhaling the ex the, the exhale of your breath loses water and it's almost three times more when it's colder, which would obviously necessitate the need for more water consumption when it's cold. So it's interesting because it's contrary to what most people would probably think or what logic would say. And I, you know, most people that I've met, they run into trouble on a cold weather hunt because they, they don't take as much water. They typically take a Nalgene, which they can't reach and can't drink out of. And so it's this combination of not enough plus inaccessibility and they start to feel pretty rough on even a cold weather hunt. And like, I forget the kind of the exact science to this. I don't know. Not sure if you've looked at it, Kyle, but like in particular, not only cold weather and performance, but cold weather and sleeping that your level of hydration uh, has an effect on, I don't know if it, I want to see your metabolism, but essentially how warm you sleep at night in cold weather. And if I'm correct on the science and again, like antidotal experience, kind of back this up, the more dehydrated you are, the more prone you are to get cold uh, through the night during sleeping. Mm -hmm. I'd have to look that one up. I don't know the science behind it, but I do know, like, I do know whenever you look at the research, people will often say, well, what's the best way to sleep warmer? And so, you know, what we've often heard or what's been, you know, reported in a lot of like outdoor circles is, well, you need to eat a lot of really high fat foods before you go to bed. There's more calories per ounce, more calories per gram in fat-based foods when compared to carbs and protein. So the logic is, higher you're getting more calories in your body's burning more calories so it's 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 higher it's literally heating up it's not true the best way to maintain a good core temperature whenever you go to bed or to stay warm is to eat something hot to heat your core temperature up right mm -hmm. so i think that you know there's a number of um yeah factors that can could potentially play a role in that but i remember specifically in doing the research on cold weather versus uh warm weather obviously just being shocked at the the logic because i didn't you know i would have guessed the other way around too but to find out that the you know the degree to which the need is higher is as much as three times um and i just thought that that was fascinating because it's like i said it's just a lot it's it's different than what i would have thought what about electrolytes um, I have not been too strategic, uh, save a few examples on things like death hikes. You know, it's just very long days, warmer weather for some of those being summer. On a typical hunt, I'm not as careful. I usually bring, really to break up the monotony of water, I'll bring some sort of like flavored powder or tablet or something to add to water. That's that one liter platypus I mentioned prior. I just don't like getting my, my bladder or whatever my primary water container is dirty or flavored. So that's why I keep that extra one liter. 
and I will typically have that be something with electrolytes, but I don't get too particular on a certain rate of consumption or a certain amount of electrolytes within that drink. And I've tried the high electrolyte stuff, something like element. I just don't honestly didn't care for the taste of it. And I could force myself to choke it down, but didn't want to. And I've at the same time, I've also been surprised and I'd love to hear you elaborate on this, Kyle, but some of the, the powders or other things, supplements, if you want to call them that, that, you know, tout electrolytes as a benefit and actually how weak their (laughs) amount of electrolytes are in that specific thing. So it's like, yeah, there's some electrolytes there, but if I understand the science correctly and I understand this product correctly, uh, they don't really jive because you're not getting the benefit of the levels that I think make a true difference from many of the products that are out there touted as being having an electrolyte benefit. That is correct. Why they report that, I don't know. I mean, the only conclusion we can go to is marketing, right? Because yes, there's some in there. And this is, I, I think this is relevant to the topic of um, supplements in general, which is, you know, a, a lot of a lot of companies can claim a really, really grand um, end result by taking their product and not be lying because there may be some research that says, Hey, this is beneficial, but you have to, you have to really read the research and decide, okay, well, it doesn't take much to be beneficial. Like a 0.0001 advantage could be considered beneficial. I'll give you an example after this, but you have to supplement that with the question of, is the advantage so significant that I'll actually notice a difference? Is it really that big of a deal that it makes a difference in whether or not I have a good experience, a bad experience, or whether or not I perform well, or whether or not I don't perform well? Prime example of this would be something like green tea for weight loss. So you'll hear, at least it used to be really popular, it hasn't been as popular lately. You'll hear a company say, this has green tea, green tea enhances weight loss. Well, when you read the study, it says, yeah, green tea does enhance weight loss over black tea or over um, or, or, or over a, um, a, um, a, a uh, darn it, the words escaping me, it's, it'll come back to me in a minute. Ah, I can't remember. But whenever you re- get in there and you actually read the, read the research, it basically would say, okay, the person who took a green tea supplement burned 1,000 calories per day. The person who took the black tea supplement uh, burned 999 calories per day. Theoretically, that would say, yes, green tea does burn more calories in a day. But is that one calorie the thing that's making a difference between a person's experience or success and not? No, no way. So you have to ask those questions in tandem, which is why I don't bring any specific electrolyte powders with me on any trips, not intentionally. Like sometimes I'll be in a larger camp, someone will have some and just to break up the variety um, of, of plain water, I'll drink some. But if, if you're consuming food that has good doses of sodium in it, which is what we'll talk about next, there really is no need beyond that to keep getting electrolytes in. If I bring an electrolyte powder of any kind, frankly, it's just for the ease of getting more carbs in, right? I mean, it's it's so nice to have just this really small packet of 
electrolyte powder that gives me 60, 90, 100 grams of carbohydrate and doesn't take up much room in my backpack. So if I pack something like that, it tends to be because it's a really good way to break up the monotony of water, to give me a good dose of carbohydrate without having to take up a bunch of volume in the pack, but it's not really for the sodium. It has marginal, if any, potassium and maybe a little magnesium. But for the most part, a lot of those powders have some sodium in them and that's about it. And like you'd already referenced, most of the sodium in there is pretty marginal. Yeah. I mean, that, that whole idea of being helpful, like having a benefit, but at what level? I mean, that's, that's what's important to really realize in all this stuff. We got, and we'll probably revisit this again because there were some, we put a, uh, like a Q and a out the other day on Instagram asking people, you know, what questions they had on the topic. And one of them was of all the ones you have tried, did you have a favorite? So we can table that one if you want. Ooh, I like it. What about sodium? You're pretty, I mean, you're like in your normal day-to-day life, you're a pretty health conscious guy. Like you pay attention to what, what you eat and what you do, not obsessively, but you do pay attention to it. Do you worry at all about either, you know, main, like main entree backpacking meals, the volume of sodium in there, just the overall volume of salt that tends to intrinsically be in foods that are shelf stable long enough to survive a trip? Not so much anymore. And part of that's just by the fact that I I do number one, I feel like there's better options out there, right? So if you like, it is kind of scary to look at, um, you know, mountain house, for example, in the past and look at some of what's in those and what the sodium levels are. And if that's all you were consuming, you know, I think some of those levels could get potentially worrisome for me. It's like, number one, does that truly affect you on three to five days? Maybe, maybe not like going back to rules. I know you've talked about Kyle, like what you do for three days doesn't really matter if what you do for most of the rest of the year um, is pretty dialed. And you know, if those three days like affect how you feel and perform those three days, that does matter. I just mean kind of from a long-term perspective, but there's, so there's better options, more natural options out there that have less added sodium and less sodium in general. And then for me personally, um, along with that, I've just been dehydrating more of my own stuff. And I guess because I'm not eating too much of like the processed backpacking food, too frequently. Um, I just haven't really looked at it with much concern. Yeah. The, the irony, um, of the topic to me is how much you need salt (laughs) doing the type of things that we're doing. And, you know, whether that's backpacking or whether that's, um, backpack hunting or whether that's doing something outside, like, like an ultra, something that really may not have anything to do with the whole like camping thing. Most of those seasons tend to run like late spring into mid to late fall. I know some, some will run into winter, but it's, it's hot seasons, right? And so when you think about how profusely, I mean, none of these things, even a casual hike can be a challenge that you sweat on. And when you think about how profusely you sweat, the hotter that it gets, the more intensity the endeavor is. And you think about sodium being the predominant electrolyte that's lost in sweat. For you to perform optimally, quote unquote, you have to replace that, right? And this becomes even more true 
if you're drinking a lot of water on top of losing all of that sweat because you are having this dual combo of losing sodium from sweat plus you're peeing out what you've got because you're drinking so much fluid so naturally if you're not replacing that it's not it's not being replaced so the very avoidance of something that could potentially help you so bad so much in the backcountry is it, it it doesn't make any logical sense from a nutrition standpoint so the question i usually get is should i worry about this is there a maximum dose my answer is no largely because of what have i, ex- I explained and then second to that is largely because of what you explained if you lived like this for five years maybe we should be worried but you're probably not you know for most people they're making a big seven day trip or they're making a few three to five day trips but the other 300, 330 days a year, you're at home <laughs> and you have complete control over, over what's coming in. And those 330 days are certainly going to outweigh your overall health um, when compared to the 10, 20, 30 days that you spend outside eating some of these things. Now, it begs the question, though, I think, because people will say, well, why do I feel so bad? Why do I feel so puffy? Why do I feel all of these things? And that's because of everything else going on, right? It's hot. Usually you're above an altitude that you're used to. You've got a high amount of physical exertion. You've got a, you've got a, a belt strapped tightly around your gut. <laughs> all of the blood that's normally going to you for digestion and, and pumping your heart and all of those things is being pushed to your legs because they're the most active thing. And so you have this combination of factors and variables that automatically lead to poor digestion, more fluid retention, puffiness, poor circulation, all of these different factors that lead into it. But most people, and I understand the logic, most people think, oh, that's got to be because of the high salt food. And it's like, no, you're, you're replacing what you need to be replacing. The reason you're experiencing a lot of what you're experiencing is the, is the nature of the variables that of everything else going on. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And so, you know, like it, it, it sort of gives you the freedom to know I don't want to say like you're doing something good, but you are. I mean, you kind of are, right? And and this goes back to the electrolyte comment of why I don't really take any sort of an electrolyte because mostly electrolytes are carbs and sodium. And so if I'm eating meals I've either prepared myself, I've purchased, I'm taking salty snacks, like often I'll build tra- trail mixes with things like goldfish crackers or Cheez-Its or um, pretzels or usually something pretty salty in there, it's replacing the sodium. So I don't necessarily need the very small amount that most of these companies are providing in their electrolyte powders, which is why, you know, if I use one, it's really more for the carbohydrate as opposed to the sodium itself. Now, I I do know, like, just because we're friends and we've talked about past death hikes and stuff, you've taken salt tablets have you found using those any more beneficial than anything else? I don't feel like I've used them enough with um, with enough consistency and scenario, meaning like conditions and output and et cetera, to say. Um, you know, I did use them on like a 100-mile death hike, and I've used them on some other longer runs and a longer hike, specifically in hot, hotter weather. And I definitely didn't have any negatives. And honestly, I, I feel like the times I've used them, I've felt well. 
but I'm like, uh, you know, correlation causation, like did, did they do anything or not? I'm not sure. Right. So, um, I haven't relied on them much. So, um, again, I don't, I don't, I don't have these experiences of like, oh man, these, you know, I did very similar efforts in similar conditions, one with one without, I definitely noticed a difference. No. So I don't know if there's any correlation causation or placebo effect that could have tied into my experience with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these, um, I think that this loops in, unless you want to cover one of the topics again, like we can kind of do a conclusion on them here in a second, but we had some good questions come in, um, through the social media. Like whenever I was, I was just curious, what do you, what, you know, what do you guys want to know about one of them? And I think it ties in here was what's the best way to tell if you're getting enough electrolytes. And that's mainly going to be sodium from my perspective. And I'd love to hear like your personal experience with this anecdotal or, or not, if you're not cramping <laughs> yeah. and, and you feel like you're doing well, you're probably getting enough electrolytes. If you are starting to cramp, there's usually two reasons with electrolytes being the second or the less of the reason. Most cramps, when you look at research studies and you know the way that they would do this is they would assess a person or an athlete's nutrition in combination with the degree of training while they're doing some sort of an output most cramps are tied to that person not being conditioned to do what it is they're asking their body to do. It does not mean they're not in shape. It just means that they're what they're asking of the body, the body is not used to that enough yet that it cramps. It could also be because of electrolyte, in which case it would be sodium. So if you are cramping, sodium's an easy fix, right? That to try to try to get some more sodium in to see if the cramps fix or um recover but if not it's probably the degree of training yeah so it's like that specific kind of muscular demand you think then because you said it's not like you're not in shape generally it's just that yeah that specific endeavor that specific effort yeah so like a general example would be if you run five miles seven days a week and you've done that for the last five years and i'm making this up you a, a guy that does that or a girl who does that is in shape. <laughs> but if you all of a sudden try to go do a half or a full marathon and you start cramping at mile 18, mile 20, doesn't mean you're not in shape. It just doesn't mean you're in 20 mile shape, right? It doesn't mean that you're in 20 consecutive miles, that repetition, your muscles simply aren't used to that yet. And that could cause a, 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 a cramp. And so like, you know, the literature, the wording is sometimes harsh because it almost sounds like you're deconditioned. <laughs> you're not conditioned mm-hmm. to be doing what you're doing. And it can imply that a person's not in shape, but that's not the case. It's saying that your muscles simply haven't experienced what you're asking of it. And so it does, they do start to cramp. Have you had any cramps in the backcountry before? Um, at times, yes, but I feel like it's come under some pretty, pretty extreme circumstances. I would say I'm not prone to cramping. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm a uh, an exception in this case. I'm not prone to cramping in traditional muscular cramps or things of that nature. Um, so, like, I could be hiking a ton. It's not like my quads or my hamstrings or my calves or whatever hike. Um, oddly enough. I get cramps in my hands, which is Hmm. weird. And occasionally in my toes, which is weird. Um, But even on that recent bear hunt I talked about and mentioned kind of had this period where I was neglecting hydration a bit because just focused on the hunt, et cetera. I will start to get cramps like in my hands really bad. Um, And that's for me, one of the signals I look at in terms of hydration level. Again, it's not a muscular cramp, 
it's literally kind of like in my fingers. Um, yeah, it's a freaking, <laughs> it's a weird deal, man. Um, but that, that happens to me under high exertion in different ways and then, um, improper hydration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know that I've ever had any cramps, which either means I don't work hard enough <laughs> or, or, Dude, uh, it was, I've never, that, I just eat too much salt. Yeah. On that bear hunt, I was like cramping throughout the day. Um, and then, uh, Steve and I both end up filling our bear tags that, that evening and our, our bears were down on the same hillside, but a couple 200 and 250 yards apart from each other. And, um, we're like, Oh, we should just get these bears close and get a picture to remember this and both bears together. And so anyway, we were trying to move his bear across a pretty steep hillside. And the only way to do it was to like one, two, three heave and move this bear like two or three feet at a time. But from cramping throughout the day, my grip strength in my hands was so terrible, um, that I was, I was fairly worthless trying to move this bear because my grip strength in my hands, but it's, it's funny, Kyle, like I could have that happen on a hunt, but I could also like go out in the summer and just say, I do like a ton of yard work or something like for hours or some sort of like manual labor or whatever. Um, and it's a pretty consistent, you know, response for me in certain conditions. Next up, is there a time or an amount you need to hydrate before going out? And so you had you had sort of touched on this on stuff whenever you start to head west. I think I think like and I don't want to necessarily belabor that, but I think the thing to remember is one, you can't hyperhydrate, which is the the term the phrasing that we use, meaning you can't wake up in the morning of an event and just shove gallons and liters or whatever of water into you hoping that it's going to saturate you to you know yourselves to the amount that it needs to number one even if it did work that way you would get what we call the sloshy gut feeling right so you you may be hydrated but your gut would be so full of fluid that if you were getting ready to take off for some sort of an endeavor whether it's backpacking running whatever uh, you would have that nasty, which I'm sure everyone's experienced that nasty, sloshy gut feeling, um, trying to move. I think the best rule of thumb for this is in the day leading up to the event, make sure that you're, you're hydrating well to where you're peeing pretty close to clear. And that's going to be a really good litmus test, whether or not you're in the backcountry or you're on your normal day-to-day stuff. To determine if you're hydrated general recommendation is like you want this straw yellow and some you know some people would say like once you get to clear you're hyper hydrated meaning you're you've got too much water on board i don't think that's the case especially if you're still thirsty um but you know the premise again trying to balance that optimal versus practical is just to make sure that you're getting enough in the day before an event and you're not trying to make up for something the day of the other really unpopular opinion is do not drink the night before some sort of big event because alcohol is dehydrating. And so any like actual good fluid volume you do have on, you're going to lose some of it. So making sure that you drink something that's hydrating, not to drink too much alcohol the night before a big event. And then the morning that you wake up, drink is normal, drink to thirst, but don't try to hyperhydrate either. Good stuff. Anything you'd add? No, man, that's great. All right. Anything that will help to avoid altitude sickness? This was interesting because it ties into like what you were saying where you've gone, 
you know, from basically 500 feet to 10,000 feet when you go to Colorado and notice that that plays a big difference. So I, I think that there's a, I guess, a balance here. And I think that this question was more geared towards, is there a supplement or is there an electrolyte that I could take to help to avoid altitude sickness? General hydration you the, the would be exactly like you said. The more that you are hydrated when you get to or above altitude, the better you're going to perform. But there is nothing you can take that's going to prevent a person from just getting altitude sickness. Like there's no, um, there's no sort of a supplement. There's a couple of uh, branded products geared towards alleviating this. There is nothing that would suggest that those actually work. The best way to avoid altitude would, or I'm sorry, to avoid altitude sickness would be to a acclimate, and I guess as a backup plan, bring some diamox. But yeah. you know, aside from those two things, and making sure that you're actually hydrated, and I suppose we could throw in here, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. In the weeks, potentially even the months leading up to your trip, making sure that you're not iron deficient, right? Because if you are iron deficient, there's not going to be enough, um, your, your, your blood's not going to be able to carry enough oxygen to you. So just making sure that you're not low on that. Yeah. I um, looked while you were chatting, Kyle, because we did a, a pretty in-depth discussion on this on our podcast, and it's been several years, so don't ask me to recall specifics, but I did look in... Uh, we interviewed Robert Roach, who was the director of the Altitude Research Center for University of Colorado School of Medicine. And so we talked a lot about altitude sickness, why it happens, how it happens, symptoms, things to look out for, do over-the-counter medications and supplements work, et cetera. So that if you guys want to like truly take a deep dive on that, this is like a, a true expert in that field. Um, and it was episode 140 of our podcast. Uh, and yeah, to continue to burst your bubble and ruin all your sponsorship agreements, Kyle, the over-the-counter marketed stuff, there's no evidence for it. <laughs> I think I shot myself in the foot for those a long time ago. Which is... <laughs> well, I just wanted to keep going at this point. And I'll remember to, uh, yeah, you might as well, I might as well be consistent. Um, I will put the, I'll put the link to that show in there because I remember, I remember mowing grass and listening to that episode. It was a good one. All right. Well, f the final, uh, final good question. Do you have a favorite? Of the electrolyte supplements that you've tried, I'm apprehensive to even call them elect or supplements. Uh, of the electrolyte products that you've tried, is there one that you feel like this is at least pretty tasty? Am I going first? Yeah. All right. Uh, two that come to mind. One is Noon, N-U-U-N. I don't use it as much as I used to but it can be nice to mix things up as i mentioned before for flavor and noon is a pretty light flavor but it's also um, one of those tablets that's a little effervescent so you get like a little bit of um yeah a little bit of bubbles in your water if you want it's not like fully carbonated but a little bougie champagne experience yeah there you go i like it so that's one i have used on occasion um they used to just have like flat out noon and now they have like, I just pulled up their website, noon sport, noon immunity, noon vitamins, noon rest, noon energy, noon instant, noon immunity three, noon prime, noon endurance, noon recover. So it's a bit overwhelming now, but. <laughs> must be, must be new research. Yeah, exactly. So I've carried those in the past. Uh, side pro tip on those is keep the containers because they come in this little tube. 
Um, and the little tubes are handy. They're lightweight. The lid basically is makes a waterproof seal. And what I do now is I keep a Bic mini and a bunch of little like tinder for fire starting. So my little fire starter kit is in an empty noon canister, which is pretty waterproof and very light and super handy. So if nothing else, buy some noon, try it out and keep the container. Um, the other one I use, I was trying to look what it's called is it's called squincher. Um, you can get them with or without sugar. So again, if you want some like extra carbohydrates or sugar, you can get it. If you want them without it, you can get it without it. Um, main reason I buy them is taste is decent and they're pretty stinking cheap just to buy a massive thing. Um, I use those more than noon now, as weird as it sounds, cause they're lighter to carry. Um, they're small, um, packets of powder, kind of like a Starbucks via type packet. Um, so just super handy to throw two or the two or three of those in like my daily food bag, um, and use those kind of just like as an instant mix. So again, for me more because of flavor, more to mix up the monotony, um, to get me drinking some water with some theoretical supposed 1% benefit. Nice. I just, uh, remembered I'll have to link, I'll have to link those, and I'll also have to link that um, blog that you guys did on making your own pour over, like your own pour overs oh, for, yeah. uh, for coffee. That was sweet. That intrigued me. I want to get some of those and, um, and try them. Another dude, I haven't thought of this in years. It's so funny. I was thinking of uh, like packaging powders and I've not done this in like seven years. But one thing I did way back in the day is I had like a bulk of some powder and I was like, oh, I should just package this. Um, and I would never do it today. But I used to take the giant fat straws from like Panera. They have like the really big fat ones. And if you pinch the end of those together and like hold it together with needle nose pliers and just lightly uh, run it by a lighter, it'll actually melt and hold together. And then you can cut them to any length you want. So just a random, if guys are looking for a waterproof way to like either hold a powder or something else, that's another little DIY waterproof little container you can make random pro tip that popped in my head that is a good idea i currently uh for the coffee regimen like sit down with a scale take some trader joe's instant coffee package them in little bags of four grams and so it looks like i've got like this drug dealing scheme because i've got a i've got like an old um cookie sheet on my lap with a digital scale <laughs> these small baggies and a spoon inside of my trader joe's like uh it's it's like a blacked out trader just the, the canister that it comes in so it it takes forever it's great though i mean it's it's way cheaper than messing with via but when i saw that you guys did that blog on there um i thought i'm gonna have to try that and now i'm gonna have to get a hold of some panera um some panera straws yeah, the straws are a lot more work. I'm with you now. That's that kind of part of the reason I stopped using my straws on Amazon. You can buy like 500 tiny Ziplocs in whatever size you want, like a one and a half by one and a half or a three by three or a three by four. Like pick your poison. They're all out there and that they're just crazy cheap. Yep. For me, I, I am, I am nostalgic, good old fashioned Gatorade from the tub. And I think like even even with that, I love just the lemon lime because it reminds me of my T-ball days. <laughs> I do, man. I, I will put I like some it. of that in there. And um, I don't know. It's just for whatever reason, like the, it's marginal sodium content, still decent carb content. But I think it's just like the nostalgia because I, you know, I don't drink it unless, um, unless I'm doing something like that. It's like the nostalgia of 
being somewhere and uh and drinking that it's just it's uh it's fun so yeah probably that's our favorites and i'll uh, try to link all of those so kind of a recap on the hydration front there are theoretical you know fluid amounts that you can drink to but i think the best solution is just to give yourself a limit make sure that like the bladder the water bladder in your sleeve being the limit make sure that you finish that in a day plus whatever you're using for cooking make sure that your pee is not too dark yellow and you should be set on that front from the electrolytes not necessarily needed uh, especially if you're bringing a bunch of high sodium foods although they can be a really really great way to shove a bunch of carbohydrates in in a very convenient package Sodium, I don't worry about it um, at all, largely because it's the electrolyte that you need the most, especially when it's hot and you're sweating. And I don't worry about it a ton because it's a fraction of my life spent eating that high of a sodium content the rest of uh, the rest of the time. Most of us have control and we're not eating that much sodium. So hopefully that helps answer some questions. Any closing thoughts? No, man, I think that was a great recap right there. Cool. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope oh, there's a few things in the episode that you'll be able to use as the temperatures keep getting hotter and we've got quite a bit of summer left in front of us. Everything Mark and I chatted about today from the DIY pour over packets to the podcast with Robert Roach on altitude, all that I'm going to try to link in the show notes. So if you get interested in checking, um, checking it out or want to dive deeper into it, you can just click the link and it'll take you to the resource that you're looking for. As always, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you're able to send this episode to someone that you know who you may appreciate or might find it helpful, that would be awesome. Or if you've got the time to click a ranking that would be helpful as well some of you have sent emails with future podcast ideas so we'll be coming out with those soon but if you got an idea for a podcast or a question you want answered you can shoot those over to info at v2pnutrition.com and i would be more than happy to go through those and consider those for future episodes thanks for checking out the episode have a great week everyone